Welcome to the Bitches Be Brave podcast. We know how difficult and crazy it can be to juggle family, career, and not to mention make time for yourself as a busy working mom. So it's time to get inspired and gain the tools to create a life you love. We are your hosts, Bev Steele and Heather Hobbs. Join us as together we motivate, inspire, and gain tools to thrive in all areas of life. Let's go. Welcome. We are here with Dr. Nadia Patagana. She is a mother and a wife and a daughter. She is also a naturopathic doctor. She looks at patients from a health and holistic point of view. She attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and has a degree in honors biology. She was born in Mozambique and raised in Canada where she completed her studies. There, she ran a multidisciplinary clinic as the medical director and naturopathic doctor, and she currently works as a dietary coach with Dr. Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, and so, so much more, and we'll let Nadia tell you. I'm really excited to talk to Nadia today. Welcome. Thank you. Before we get started, Nadia, would you just take a few minutes and tell us about your journey and how you got to the point that you are today? Yes, and I, I want to apologize for just making your job a little hard there. I, I realize <laughs> I'm throwing these uh, funky names at you, and uh, we were laughing about that a little bit. I don't, know that there's, I don't know that there's a right and wrong way to say my name, considering that it's you know not an English name, so you just yep. say it however way. Uh, you read it, but um, give, give us the correct pronunciation because I know I tried it like four times. <laughs> it, it's a it's an African name, right? So I don't even know. I, I mean, we in Portuguese because in Mozambique, where I'm from, uh, it's a Portuguese speaking country. So it's it was a Portuguese colony, mm. and so in Mozambique they speak Portuguese. So the Portuguese way to pronounce Patiguana is mm. how you would pronounce it. But in English, I think most people have said. Uh, just the way you probably said it, Paraguana or something similar to it. And for a few years, I carried my maiden name with my married uh, name, so Brito Pataguana, just to make it a little bit harder. But now I've sort of simplified it. I feel like it's been long enough to just uh, stick to one and, and it just makes life easier. So I, I liked your intro and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, a little bit about my journey. I think my life has been... Uh, my professional and personal life has been quite interesting. I'm uh, very, um, I think, blessed because nothing has been uh, right according to plan. I think things just sort of happened. And in the end, when I look back, I'm very thankful for the way life has gone and, and sort of how, uh, how I got here. So just start, you, you correctly stated that when I was doing my undergrad, I decided to go into naturopathic medicine. So I, I started my biology undergrad with the intent to go to medical school, conventional medical school. And then I got into a little, um, a little bit of a unpleasant sort of exchange with my medical doctors because I had uh, severe IBS when I was in university during my undergrad. And I thought uh, I wasn't being um, attended to correctly uh, by my conventional medical doctors. And I thought naturopathic medicine is going to save me. And so then I decided to make a total sort of switch in directions. And I went into naturopathic medicine and I'm very glad that I did. It was, uh, as you correctly uh, stated, I uh, was raised in Canada and I went to school in Canada. So I did my undergrad 
um, at McMaster University, and then I did my um, naturopathic medicine degree at the Canadian College mm -hmm. of Naturopathic Medicine. And it is a wonderful program because it has a really good balance between the medical sciences. So it's a very good sort of scientific based program. And then of course it has all the wonderful complementary medicine uh, aspects of it. So I got to learn about homeopathy and a little bit about nutrition. It's not, I find that there's probably not one really strong medical degree on nutrition. Nutrition is one of those things that ended up coming later in my life because of, again, how life, where life took me, let's put it that way. So, you know, a lot of homeopathy, a lot of counseling, a lot of um, traditional Chinese medicine, which I loved very much and I was very interested in. Um, and even practiced um, in my early practice. I did a lot of acupuncture. So I got a really nice combination between the medical sciences and, and these different uh, complementary sort of approaches, which as you said, led me to look at people in a very different way. So I don't see organs, I see people, right? The whole more holistic sort of mm -hmm. uh, approach to, to, to practice. However, when I graduated, and uh, because this is just how, how uh, things go with me, uh, I decided that I wanted to go back to my home country, uh, Mozambique. I had left Mozambique when I was one. So it's not like I was going back to a place that I left uh, just a couple years ago. And I was 25, I think, at the time. So going to Mozambique at 25 was a very challenging and very interesting. And, and all, all the, I think all the best ways because I was in a... In a, in a beautiful country, uh, Mozambique is, is great, lots of fun. I wanted to be there, I think, because it was fun. And I had lots of cousins there. And I thought um, combining the social aspect, which I very much liked, and I thought, now I'm going to go to Mozambique. And I'm going to get to work in the impoverished communities and help people, right? Because as any young person from an African country would think, I am going to give back to my country. This is what I thought, right? So I go to Mozambique at 25 with my new degree, hadn't practiced yet, uh, had zero experience really, and just thought, I'm gonna walk into the Ministry of Health and I'm gonna tell them here I am and I'm gonna save everybody. And uh, little did I, you know, of course I, after six months of trying really hard and having a, um, a meeting, an in-person meeting with the Minister of Health who basically said to me, you know dear, uh, what you need to do is open a practice and work in the city uh, because lots of people here would appreciate your help. And I'm and I was like, doing what? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I ended up doing. I had there was no room for me just because of complicated politics. There was just no room for me to go into as I thought I was going to go and help the poor and starving people of Africa. And there was really no room for me to do that. I also wasn't had no experience or training to do anything like that. So then I opened a practice. And within a few months, my practice was completely full. I had a, 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 you know, a wait list, a line out the door of people wanting to see me for weight loss and better health. So people with the same sort of modern diseases in, in all the other developed countries, right? Because Mozambique, although is, you know, is a developing country, let's say, it also has this busy fun, uh, very developed capital, which is where I'm from, Maputo. It's a, it's in a city full of expats and full of um, not just expats, but Mozambicans who are 
well-to-do and have unfortunately been exposed to all the same lifestyle habits that all the rest of us all over the world have. So people were overweight, diabetic, and miserable. This is what uh, I was seeing. And all people wanted was my help because nobody else in Mozambique at the time was doing it. Well, at least had the the degree to do this at the time. And I didn't either because as a naturopathic doctor, I wasn't trained uh, to, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for anything really. I was brand new at this. And so now people wanted a diet. So I had to make up a diet. If I wanted to work, this is what I had to do. I had to go out there and search. And I always joke that they're wonderful guinea pigs. Uh, my Mozambican, uh, you know, um, people that I, I think all the time in my book and in my patients at the time, I always joke that they were wonderful guinea pigs because they were forgiving and they were willing to try things with me. And over the course of 10 years, that's how long I lived there and how long I practiced there. Um, my practice developed and it developed into this lifestyle sort of clinic that focused on exactly that weight loss and metabolic syndrome and diabetes and uh, all the other expressions of metabolic syndrome. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's amazing. So how did you, you talked about, you know, this was something that was a big focus and people were coming to you and you found yourself kind of specializing in this. Um, but you did say, you know, that it, there wasn't a lot of training in nutrition, which I think is across the board. I mean, as a, in the medical field, they, I think have one class. Um, I was actually a studied dietetics. I was a dietitian. And even that though is, is a very different type of studying of nutrition, right? It's the American dietetics view of nutrition, um, the old food pyramid, you know, it's not necessarily from a naturopathic perspective or a functional diagnostic nutrition perspective, I think the right way for everybody. And so how did you, like, what was your research that you did? And kind of, I'd love to hear then what ended up being the discovery that you had that worked for people. Yeah, thanks, uh, Heather. That's totally it. Uh, And the thing is that naturopathic medicine, I did have a lot of nutrition training, but our nutrition training was not practical training. It was like uh, learning about vitamins and minerals and, Mm -hmm. you know, micronutrients and and health, really. Mm -hmm. Um, A big, big focus on health, right? So how did I start? I remember this actually quite well. I started because in naturopathic college, there was a detox that we all followed, right? Detox is a very sort of common naturopathic kind of word, which we don't really use that much anymore. Uh, I, I know I certainly don't. And then I think it later on, it, it uh, became the elimination diets. And, you know, and so what I did very early on was, I think if I put everyone on this elimination diet, on this detox, everyone's going to do really well. So that's how I started, to be totally honest with you. And then it just built from there. Uh, eventually, I had what I call the base diet, which was what I, you know, I added on to this uh, very strict elimination and detox type of diet. And so I started adding things on and removing things. And then remember, this was over the course of 10 years. And um, so I had this base diet and then I had these mini detoxes that I would encourage people to do about once a month. So it was this cycle of, of uh, healing And then about halfway through, because I was a very thin young woman, um, and so people would come into my clinic and automatically assume that I was thin because I followed this amazing diet, which was (laughs) farther from the truth, okay? And I myself didn't know that deep inside I was developing metabolic syndrome. I just wasn't expressing it as obesity. So this I learned 
about halfway through my initial part of my practice in Mozambique. So I developed PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome, when my husband and I started trying to conceive. Uh, so I, I met my husband in Mozambique and, and we started a family in Mozambique. So um, in my, I guess, early 30s, very uh, at 30, probably around 30, I had my first child a month before I turned 33. So I would say between the age of 30 and 33, was when a lot changed for me because personally I was affected by metabolic syndrome. I realized I had PCOS and uh, when I was diagnosed with it, again, it was a big blow from sort of the, I, and I have nothing against uh, medical doctors. I work right. with medical doctors and I, and I love the fact that many, many medical doctors are really putting themselves on the line by trying to change things and trying to help people, right? But the convention, the sort of the guidelines that are in, uh, set right now, as you said, Heather, are not really helping people. And the people that are working in the field can see that. You can see that you put somebody on this diet or you give somebody this medication, and it's not really helping them, but that's what's ingrained. Yeah. And a lot of people are just forced, to, if they want to continue to work, they're forced to do that. So anyway, when I was diagnosed with PCOS, um, my doctor, my gynecologist at this time in South Africa, because I used to go to South Africa, it's just across the border. I used to go to South Africa to go to my gynecologist at the time. He basically said, well, you have PCOS. I assume that in a few months you're going to be obese, even though you're really thin right now. But I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I don't, you know, you're probably not going to get pregnant, but if you, you know, if you want, here's some fertility drugs. I started with Clomid. I think one of you mentioned Clomid a little while ago, which was, it's, it's the first line sort of treatment for, for infertility. There are, you know, oral pills that you take. And I went home and I was heartbroken because I've been trying to get pregnant for a year. Um, I didn't know anything about PCOS, really. I knew it was common. I, of course, had heard of it from being in the medical field, but I didn't know that I had it. I didn't... Um, I had just gotten off the pill, I guess, and then all the expressions of PCOS started to develop. So I got the acne, I started to get hair loss and hair growth, and I didn't have regular uh, regular period. I obviously wasn't ovulating, and I gained a lot of weight in a very short period of time. Mm. So it was like something I wasn't prepared for. So I walked away from his office feeling really discouraged and really not having somebody. Um, help me through this. I didn't have a doctor saying, here's, you know, we're going to do this. Here's the diet that you should follow. And here's, you know, he just kind of walked me out the door and said that to me. And so I went home and I was miserable. But then as uh, often happens in my life, the very next day, I'm like, I need a plan. What's my plan? And, and because of my husband, also his attitude to things was very helpful. So the plan was that for some reason, in the first few years of my practice, I realized that a lot of women were getting pregnant. This became a joke in our in our community. Uh, I became known as the sort of if if you don't want to get pregnant, don't go see that doctor because <laughs> it was a small community. I was the only uh, person doing these weight loss and these types of uh, lifestyle approaches. And what was happening is that women in their forties were getting pregnant that either had never gotten pregnant before or thought they were um, they could no longer get pregnant, right? And so this happened more than once. Of course, it, it became sort of like a, a running joke. So I walked away thinking, and I didn't know why that was happening. We would just say, well, it's, a, it's because of the detox. The detox does a cleanse and yeah. all these people are getting pregnant. 
I didn't really care to be honest why it was happening. That wasn't my focus anyway. I wasn't a fertility doctor. I was a weight loss doctor. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that it happened, it just happened. So then I went home and, and that was really, that's, that's the one thing that struck in my mind was whatever is getting these women pregnant, maybe it's going to help me get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I decided the very next day, and I'm one of these all or nothing kind of people. I decided the very next day that I was going to do that detox, but I wasn't going to do it for a week. Like these women were doing, I was going to do it for however long it took. And of course I got pregnant, right? Otherwise um, the story so would be So I find that funny. So that was the first time you actually did your own diet. Yes, 100%. 110%. I grew up, and I'm very open about this, uh, the sugar addiction was out of control. The only thing is my genetic expression is not to gain weight. So all mm -hmm. of this was happening inside. So we talk yeah. a lot about this, the different expressions of metabolic syndrome. I am the thin, right? We call them tofis, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. So all of this was happening inside. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually, yes, I did develop hypertension, diabetes. I mean, the expressions uh, became of metabolic syndrome became obvious. It's just that obesity is not my primary expression. Mm -hmm. so, the root cause is the same, right? Yeah. So when you say your, your diet, at that point, were you practicing fasting? And with your patients? No, no, I wasn't at the time. So fasting came way later. So it was a very low carb diet. It was a strict okay. low carb diet. Uh, and, and again, this is way before low carb was this popular and this accepted. That's why we didn't call it low carb. We called it detoxes. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And how long had you done your diet when you got pregnant? Well, I can tell you that it was within, uh, it was probably a cycle and a half. Because it was, it was very, because I remember that I lost uh, five kilos, which is like, uh, whatever that is in pounds, it's, it's times 2.2 pounds. It was a lot. Yeah. Because remember that I was thin to begin with. I gained a lot of weight very quickly, but I was still under, within the normal BMI. So just from doing that, and I was very strict because I was, I was very determined. And I, something, it was something inside of me that said, there's nothing else out there that, that's going to help me, right? Yeah. And these women got pregnant by doing this. And I'm certain that a lot of these women did the same thing that I did. Instead of doing the base diet and then the detox, they just did the detox all month long because they wanted extreme weight loss and I wanted uh, extreme Maybe. pregnancy, right? Yeah. So that's what I did and it clearly worked. Um, so much so that I got pregnant very quickly. And I talk about this because I think it's important that women with PCOS realize this. When you have PCOS, you're not infertile. And you can get pregnant quite quickly, whether you follow some fasting combined with a proper real food, low carb diet or with fertility treatments. PCOS women successfully conceive, I think, better than, than other women with other types of infertility very quickly. But the problem is they don't resolve the problem, right? The root cause of the problem. And then the risk is the pregnancy complications. And that's what I had, severe pregnancy complications. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe dive a little deeper into, um, like, and I guess we'll focus specifically on PCOS, but I, I'm curious because, so I've, I've have a naturopathic doctor that I see and I've done the food sensitivity testing with both myself and my son. And, you know, that has helped to identify things that you think are very healthy foods that you might consume regularly, like walnuts came up for me or blueberries came up for my son. So things that you would just never in a million years, and it's not like you eat those foods and you have some sort of like, it, 
you know, a major allergic reaction. But to your point, I think those things happen internally. Um, so how much of is it, is it like a food sensitivity piece or is it, um, and I'd love to have you just kind of go a little deeper into what yeah. you think actually affected and made that change for you and other women who successfully were able to get pregnant with PCOS. Yeah, I'd love to. And I think that that's, but that's really the natural progression of this is really figuring out. So what is the root cause? What's the problem here? Right. And I think that I am very lucky, as I said, because of my background and sort of, uh, and, and eventually how, how I got led into working with, uh, the intensive dietary management program and Dr. Jason Fung and Megan Ramos now known as the fasting method. And at some point in my journey, I realized that the problem was insulin, the hormone. Mm. Okay. So it's, I, I don't think it's any one specific food. I, uh, I'm not a big fan of food intolerance tests and it, only because I've done quite a few of them as a naturopath mm -hmm. and I've put people through this quite a bit. And in the end, I just, uh, I've come to the realization that it's not any one specific food. It's insulin. Okay. It's the overproduction of insulin and hyperinsulinemia and insulin resistance is the root cause of all of these problems. It's the root cause of PCOS because PCOS isn't a hyperinsulinemic insulin resistant condition. So is obesity. So is diabetes. So all these people that are coming to see me, uh, and are coming to do these food intolerance tests and are coming, you know, et cetera, et cetera, or struggling with pregnancy or struggling to lose weight or whatever it is, or struggling during pregnancy with a lot of pregnancy complications, they're really the root cause is because they have this um, increased production of insulin. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. the one thing that we can uh, practically and very simply, and I want women to know that it is that simple. Insulin is the problem, as Dr. Fung would say, then the solution is to lower insulin. And we know how to lower insulin. You lower insulin by eating less often, and you lower insulin by eating things that are going to create less of an insulin response. And that's where the low-carb diets, the low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat diets have become, I think, so hugely popular, even within the medical community. I know there's a lot of um, contradictory and conflicting information, but the truth of the matter is people are still following these diets because they work. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about uh, protein? You know, I, in some of the reading that I've been doing, you know, it's always thinking like low carb, high protein, but there seems to be a lot out there about the shift of not, not having a very high protein diet. That's, that's a huge, that's a hugely important question, Bev. And I think that even within the low carb community, there's this conflicting thing, high protein, high fat, it's low carb, high protein, or high fat, right? And I think that it's very individual, okay? If people are insulin resistant, and the people that I work with are insulin resistant, either because they have PCOS or because they're morbidly obese or they have diabetes, okay? There's no question there. They are insulin resistant. They have a high insulin production to food that people that are less insulin resistant will create less of an insulin response to food. So in those particular people, they may they probably benefit from a more moderate protein diet even if it is just for the course of healing okay so our program is a fasting program so now fast forward a million years mm -hmm. no longer trying to get pregnant uh learned about low carb then i stumble upon fasting intermittent fasting which i think not only do i think i know is ultimately much more powerful in lowering insulin than any diet. So our program is actually very diet inclusive. We work with anyone uh, that wants that wants and can do fasting, 
regardless of their dietary approaches, even though we do still recommend a real food, low carb, higher healthy fat diet. The protein has to be accommodated depending on each individual. So some people need more protein and some people need less protein. And I think that depends on a lot of things. It depends on age, it depends on fitness level, and ultimately it depends on your insulin resistance. So when you talk about fasting, and I know that this is going to be a big thing, we talk about there's intermittent fasting and then there's also you know, I, I've done in the past where it's like days of fasting, right? So what does that mean to you? How do you define fasting? And I'm sure it probably differs um, with people, but maybe tell us, kind of walk us through what your recommendation is and how you, how you define that. Absolutely. And I, again, here, there's another topic that I'm sure still has a, not still, completely has conflicting information on there. People are so confused. Uh, we're lucky to have somebody like Jason Fung, who writes books about this and who clarifies this for people. Our program, and Megan Ramos, who's the co-founder of our program, she has spent, uh, now that we have all these coaches doing what she used to do, right? She now has the ability to develop our program in order to educate people. So our program has, you know, all the education and resources and of course support for those that choose it because it is so difficult. It seems so simple, right? Fasting is so simple, just don't eat. But then there's all of this conflicting information. So at this point, I've been with IDM for almost four years. At this point, we're lucky to have a lot of really great coaches and uh, really well thought out protocols for, for individuals. But in general, you're right. Intermittent fasting could mean uh, time-restricted eating, which is just eating full meals and no snacks. And I think ultimately that's, that's the key thing, right? But then there are protocols. There's the alternate day fast, which is often used for weight loss. And then there's extended fasting, which people use for a variety of different reasons. Our program actually focuses a lot more on time-restricted eating and, and shorter fasts. And people that choose to do longer fasts, we advise them to get uh, medical support for that if that's what they choose to do. And if they do it with a medical doctor and, and they're being monitored, we know people can fast for days on end. We've seen it and it's, it is possible as long as you're doing it safely and with the supervision of a medical doctor, then, um, you know, it, it, it's obvious that your body has the ability to do that. You need to be well hydrated. It's not something that we focus on per se. We focus on more of the intermittent fasting aspect of it. So we... Talking about the, the different, depending on, you know, if you're exercising or, you know, whatever that, that strikes a chord with me just because I kind of naturally eat that way. Just, I just wait until I'm hungry, but I find when I'm exercising, then I'm like, I really feel like I need something. I might get lightheaded. And I've read a lot about the dirty fasting and clean fasting. What are your thoughts about having a coffee with some almond milk or that? <laughs> you're coming you're up. talking to, I, oh, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know that I knew that that was coming up, but you probably didn't know you're <laughs> talking to the biggest stickler of all sticklers. I am a clean fasting person. Huh? Um, even within, uh, our program really prides itself on trying to give really consistent messages, but even within our coach conversations, I'm like, nope, it's clean uh, fasting. And I'll really the, 
<laughs> the majority of us are going for the ultimate um, eventually, right? I, I don't. I don't mean this when people are starting now. We are the whole idea behind coaching is that you're, you know, you're coddling people as much as they need to. You're you're hand holding as much as possible, and we have lots of resources on fasting aids and things that you can do as you get into fasting. But the whole idea is that, as Dr. Fung would say, that you build that fasting muscle. And I am a big believer in short, but clean fasts. So this is what I train people right from the beginning. And so um, this thing that you brought up about exercise, I think is a wonderful, uh, it's an important point to bring up because what you're feeling around exercise, particularly if you exercise in a fasted state, which I do recommend, and a lot of athletes uh, swear by it, I think what you're facing is dehydration, which is easily fixed, however, people often confuse dehydration for hunger. And yes, you'll get lightheaded, even during a regular fast, if you're not hydrated properly. And so we do train people through this. Uh, we talk about hydration, what that means, water, salts, magnesium. These are the things that we uh, talk about. And of course, we come from a very privileged uh, place where we've been doing this for many, many years with many, many people. So we've gathered a lot of, uh, of knowledge in this, in this field, right? Whereas other people haven't because they were, a lot of people are still against it, right? A lot of doctors are like, no, fasting. I have people, diabetics, who would 100% benefit from fasting. It's probably the only thing that would help them truly. And their doctors are saying, no, if you fast, I won't, I won't follow you kind of thing. I won't help you. Mm. And so um, this is the thing is to do it safely. Of course, you, you need, you need a, a need some good support behind you, but also information. So as I said, our program is open and accessible to everyone. There's a lot of resources on hydration and how to hydrate properly around exercise and just during a regular fasting day. So that's what I think you're probably feeling, Bev, is you need to hydrate better. And, and I mean, it, you know, there's some, some indications on uh, how to do that. And the other thing is, uh, I think it's called accommodation. I always say accommodation and it might not be accommodation, but there's an actual term for it, which is when you exercise, you need more. Uh, this is where the calorie thing comes in. We were, we don't talk about calories at all when it comes to weight loss or whatever, but the truth is that your caloric intake and expenditure are not separate. They're completely connected. So if you exercise more, you're going to want to eat more, which is great. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why the low carb, high fat diet ultimately uh, makes a lot of sense. You can eat more. You just don't eat more often. You just eat more at your meals. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about, you've talked about the short clean fast, can you give some like parameters? Are there hours? Are there kind of, you know, what is the typical protocol that you might start somebody at? And what's, um, what's somebody that's more advanced? What does that look like in terms of that short duration that you've talked about? Absolutely. So I think some of these fasting schedules are very well known at this point, the famous 16-8 and 18-6. These are the most well-known uh, fasting protocols. I don't think that they're the best weight loss protocols per se. I think that they're a great starting point for people um, for weight maintenance and for longevity. It's, it's a great protocol and for, for just overall. And this is, this is the schedule that I would recommend most people to at least start with. So the 16, 8, 18, 6, which basically means that you fast for 16 to 18 hours a day daily. Mm -hmm. and you eat in the six to eight hour period, but it's the six to eight hour period that I think is actually more important and that people don't focus on as much. 
because very often people will will read that or, or see that and they think it's a one long six to eight hour eating window, but it's not, it's mm -hmm. really not supposed to. It's supposed to be um, in, in that, uh, in that uh, period, uh, you are supposed to have time restricted feeding windows and they're much shorter uh, in each uh, eating window per se or meal should really only be 30 to 60 minutes long. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's probably the most uh, well known and probably I think in my opinion, the best if you can start with that. And if you can do that, you can go, you can do whatever other protocol seems appropriate for your individual goals. Mm. Yes, I like that. Um, as a mother, uh, and I, I, I I have noticed, you know, kind of a change in how I view how my, my kids eat. Um, I've gone from raising them to forcing them to eat, you must eat this, to now kind of talking them about their natural um, appetite, you know, when they feel hungry, not eating just because you have to eat. So how do you, how do you approach that with your family or with your patients? That's a, that's a, Again, another great question. You guys are, if you're just putting me on the spot here. It's a great question. It's something that I talk uh, very openly about. I'm very honest about this. Okay. Just because I live this lifestyle and it's worked out really well for me. And I'm lucky enough to work in this uh, professionally as a mother. I find that this has been very challenging. Mm -hmm. I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. Both of my children were born to a mother with metabolic syndrome. So very clearly early on, they had many expressions of insulin resistance. And, and even just recently, we went to an endocrinologist. Um, and so do I believe that I have the answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but is it easy to implement in, in practical terms with children in this world? It's very challenging. Okay. Mm -hmm. My kids, uh, they just kind of all over the place. They go from eating perfect, according to me, to eating the worst out mm -hmm. there. Um, they get fed at school at times, even without my knowledge and control. Uh, the mm -hmm. amount of times they get candy and things from their teachers and their friends. There are birthday parties weekly, uh, more than once a week. And so they're exposed to a lot of things that I would think would be okay on occasion, but I think they're exposed to it a lot more than they should. Now, here's what I see happening, Bev. And, and a lot of this, I talk about, it, it's a little bit of my Achilles tendon when I hear certain uh, therapists and physicians talk about intuitive eating. Because intuitive eating, in my opinion, would be great if we all had the best metabolic uh, health, right? If your metabolism and if your hormonal state is pristine, you're gonna have great intuitive uh, eating skills. If you have metabolic syndrome, all you're gonna crave are the foods that are gonna raise your insulin further and further. So what happens with my children, and I see this, is that especially when they are surrounded by these foods and once at the end of a weekend, for example, or a trip, we just had a trip and it was chaotic, they can't stop eating. They just want to keep eating and they don't have full meals. They don't want full meals. They don't want meat. They don't want vegetables. They want junk. And they're just going for the starters and the desserts. And I recognize this because this was me my entire life. I wanted the starters and the dessert and I wouldn't have the main meal. And so when you are metabolically deranged, children included, they don't follow a proper eating schedule. They eat all day long. They want to eat all day long and they're snacking all day long. 
I see kids and I have nieces and nephews that weren't born to metabolic to mothers with metabolic syndrome and they don't eat that way. Mm. They only eat a couple of times a day. They eat real food like meat, like my niece and nephew, all they want to eat is meat and eggs. Their parents are not low carb. Okay. Mm. Their parents are the ones going, have some rice, have some fruit, have some whatever. And the kids are going, no, I just want the meat and, 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 and walk. And they, they just want the meat and walk away. My kids are the opposite. My kids just don't want to stop eating, unfortunately. And my kids are overweight, um, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So I'm, I'm very honest about this because I think that it's a combination of things. I think number one, they were born, as I said, and this is what I tell women with PCOS. Yes, you want to get pregnant. You're in a big rush to get pregnant and you do whatever it takes to get pregnant right away, but you don't go through the healing journey. Mm -hmm. And then you have pregnancy complications and then you have babies with, with insulin resistance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very, I know you have daughters as well as I do. And it's, you know, a fine line that you have to walk on encouraging, you know, the better habits. Um, and then when there's, when you add the metabolic syndrome and you, some of that's just natural, you know, so my children are little, uh, they're, they're younger than yours. Uh, so they're still very sheltered and protected from that. Plus, uh, in this day and age, it's not like back in the day, right? I mean, no one's ever told them they were overweight. They don't realize they're overweight. And it's not mm. a thing that we that we bring up. My husband was very overweight. I, in fact, this mm. is part of how we met. Uh, he was my client, quote unquote, of, of ah. a friend of a friend who eventually came into my clinic for weight loss. And so my journey has been his journey. We've been on this journey together. He has lost all that weight that I didn't need to lose. He, he did, and he lost it. So my children, unfortunately, are, are a product of these two mm -hmm. individuals that had metabolic syndrome. And so they, they tend to uh, take after him a lot more. They're, they're, uh, my husband was an obese child uh, already. So with them, it's really about just teaching them, you know, talking with them and explaining to them. They, they fully understand fasting, although kids don't fast, right? But they know that we fast and they understand the concept of fasting. They understand the concept of real food and what's healthy and what's not healthy. So what we're doing is we're planting the seed. And we're mm -hmm. hoping that with time, they will, they... I'm hoping that they will. Right now, it's a it's very challenging. It's very challenging. I always say this to my husband. We send them off to school with egg and uh, meats and 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 you know all the things that we think are healthy, but then they're exposed to all kinds of stuff. And I always say to my husband, every time they go to school with these things, somebody's feeling sorry for them and is giving them something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's I a remember. constant struggle. It's. It's so hard. I had had my son for a full year, gluten, dairy, sugar-free. Um, we was on the fine gold diet, uh, trying, he was artificial flavoring and coloring free. And we had done so well for a year. I used to pack bags for his teachers to say if when kids bring in treats, like he can go to this and either take out a healthy treat or even I had like tickets to say you get extra screen time or whatever. And I will never forget one day I showed up at school. It was like the last day of school and all these kids come running running out of the classroom with like blue donuts and there's like blue all over their face. And I'm like, Oh no. Oh no. And sure enough, here comes my son and like, you know, blue donut. And I, it, it just went downhill. And now it's, it's hard because now my son is 16 and it's same thing. They have money, they go and they can put money in a vending machine and they can go ride their bikes to Seven Eleven and spend their money on whatever garbage. And 
I just try to point out how they feel, you know, if they yeah. eat certain foods like that, like how is your stomach feeling? And do you notice that you, you know, you're tired, but um, it's, not, it's not even easy for us. I mean, I know this week I traveled for work and I found myself like in meetings where they bring in food and I don't have choices. Um, or, you know, I'm at the airport and there's, I hadn't eaten all day, but there was like nothing, you know, it's just, it's tough sometimes to, but I think it's a, a hopefully it's about balance and, um, you know, understanding You're your body. You're so right. I mean, this to me is the most challenging thing, uh, is that is my own children. And this is why I, like I said, I'm very honest about this because it's very challenging. The, the thing that I hope for here is that, because like you said, I could send them everything to school. I can speak to the teachers, although the teachers are not really in line with my thoughts. I got a note at the beginning of the year saying children need snacks. Please send two snacks to school. And I, I don't think kids need snacks. I think kids need full meals. So of course we're at, we're at a, an odds here, right? It's very, very challenging. Um, because what happens is there's a time at 10 o'clock where the kids all stop and sit and get their little lunch boxes out. So my kids are the two kids not taking out their lunchbox. I mean, it's, it's just very hard. Yeah. So as I said, we're planting the seed. Uh, and hopefully with time, we will be able to help them through with this, with what we know, right? But we're not perfect. And it's impossible in this world. This world is just not, as you said, you know, you did all the best that you, that you thought you were doing, but you, you just can't uh, save your son from the blue donuts. It's just, right. they're there, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's the reality. Yeah. Uh, that's so true. Um, so I did, uh, I just, just want to ask one more question regarding the fasting and keto. And um, I, from looking at, at your information, you do believe in, in combining those two programs. Is that correct? I do think that, yeah. um, I, I, I don't know at this point how I feel about the word keto. I'll be totally honest with you. And even in our book, uh, that we just finished writing. It's not even out yet, but you know, we had a lot of discussion around this. I, I personally followed a keto diet. And I think that, um, when I see that things are going a little off for me, that's definitely my, where I go back to my problem with the current sort of terminology around keto is all the fake products out there and where that's going to lead people. Because ultimately remember that I am, um, an advocate for intermittent fasting. So anything that you're going to put it, you know, as we talked about a little while ago, you're going to put in your coffee, a little, whatever treat, whatever snack, whatever you're going to eat between meals. I think that's going to just, that's the thing that's setting you back. Okay. So this is my problem with the, uh, certain things out there. So I'm a big believer in real food. Okay. I think that depending on your metabolic state, the strict low carb ketogenic diet might be the resolve. It was for me and probably for many people that, uh, that if you're insulin resistant and if you have uh, an insulin resistant condition that you want to reverse, then that's going to be the diet that's going to be the best ad, you know, adjunct to your uh, intermittent fasting protocol for sure. I do think that at some point down the line, some people do very, very well with, uh, an, an, another real food approach, any real food approach. And real food at this point means no sugar, no grains, and no seed oils, right? So it's not, it's not that we're saying go nuts and eat whatever, because that's not going to work, right? It, you're going to, if you had an insulin resistant condition, if you were hyperinsulinemic, you're just going to build up that insulin again, if you keep on eating these foods that are going to 
produce more and more insulin. So mm -hmm. whether it's keto, quote unquote, which keto just means less than 20 grams of carbs a day, I guess at this point, right? That's what people are following, less than 20 grams of net carbs a day. Mm -hmm. I, I am not so stuck on that number is what I'm saying, but lower carb, moderate protein, higher fat for sure seems to be the best uh, dietary approach to combine with intermittent fasting if your problem is uh, insulin and if you're trying to lower insulin. Okay, so I have to ask you one more question then. Um, I am, so I've, I am a, mainly a vegetarian. I will do some fish and seafood, but I don't prepare those. At, I do prepare them for my family, but I have a hard time eating those things at home. And so um, do you feel that it's possible to do the high protein, high fat, um, you know, I real, obviously real food diet, but also being a vegetarian. I think that's another very important question. Again, really putting me on the, uh, on the line there on the spot, but, but this is it. I work with a lot of vegetarians. In fact, I have a lot of people that want to work with me because they either think I'm a vegetarian or they've seen, uh, testimonials of vegetarians that have worked with me. So clearly I think it's, it's, uh, fine to do this and, and, if you're a vegetarian who has insulin resistance, then I want to help you for sure. So uh, I do think it's possible to be a vegetarian and follow a real food diet. It's the same. My issue with um, more plant-based sort of, not plant-based, because if they were plant-based, then I wouldn't have an issue. So my issue with some people that believe they're following a healthy vegan diet is that they eat a lot of junk yeah. just so they don't eat meat. Mm -hmm. And I have an issue with that. Just like I have an issue with... Uh, you know, the keto people that eat a whole bunch of junk, just eat real food. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think you can eat real food as a vegetarian. Absolutely. 100%. Awesome. That's a relief. I think we already established before we even started recording this interview that we're going to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> so many questions. Go on yeah. and on. But I think that just this conversation shows how important it is to have somebody that has the knowledge and the experience to work with you. Um, because there's so much information and like, like you said, I mean, like keto has become really popular. So everyone's sending all this information out and what is it, you know, is it 20 grams, 10 grams? And all of that really seems overwhelming, especially for Heather and I, who are like you, we're all or nothing. So we're like, dude, no carbs. <laughs> well, you are. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, really. she is, but, she so is much that, more self-control. Yeah. How can our I, listeners I, get a hold of you? Oh, sorry. Sorry, Beth. I was just going to say, yeah. I, and, and again, I think it's, it just depends on what stage you're in. And I think that's, that's the important thing. I, at some point I was much lower carb because that's what I needed to heal. And it made my fasting easier. Then I got a lot more, maybe more like Heather, where I had a lot more control, maybe uh, not control, but I was metabolically a, a little bit healthier. So I could, I, I had, um, better tolerance for certain carbs. I mean, I'm, I still have difficulty with many. And then at some point in the last little while, probably because of my move and certain health uh, changes, I decided to go a little stricter, uh, lower carb again, because it just, I, I was noticing that it was just becoming more challenging. So it's, it's about adapting and it's very individual. Sorry, I cut you off. You were saying something. No, I was just, just saying, how can our listeners reach you. I'm sure that there's going to be many, many questions that are coming up. So 
So I currently and have worked since 2016 uh, for the fasting method, which is, as I said, a program by IDM, Intensive Dietary Management Program, that was co-founded by Jason Fung and Megan Ramos. So I work with with IDM and have and probably will, I think, for a long time to come. Uh, it's thefastingmethod.com is the, is the website that you can look up. And as I said, there's a lot of really good and uh, free available information there. Uh, our program has a membership uh, part, which is really wonderful and f- focuses on education, resources, and support. And then, of course, we have the coaching program, which I'm a part of. I'm one of the coaches. We have many one- other wonderful coaches. Okay, great. Sorry. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Nadia, one question we love to ask every guest on this show is what does it mean to you to be brave? I know that you told me this at the beginning. I should have prepared for this. Um, (laughs) What does it mean for me to be brave? I think I'm going to, this is totally not planned, but I think I'm going to say just looking at my history and a little bit of what we talked today is to just kind of, um, what's the expression? Luck is when opportunity meets uh, preparation. So I think to be brave is to be, be well prepared, right? But let sort of opportunities and, and be open to opportunities and just kind of learn and go with it. I, that's what I've done in my life. And it's uh, taken me to a place where I'm, I, I feel half, pretty happy to be. So I think that's, that's what I'm going to say. I think that's excellent. It has been awesome. It was such a pleasure talking to you. You're such a wealth of information and I love your personal story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today and our listeners. And as Bev said, we would love to have you back again. I would love to come back again. Thank you, ladies. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.